In the story of the Exodus, the man Moses is called by God at 80 years old to go and confront the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, with a command to let my people go. Well, Pharaoh denied that request. And after a series of rebukes from the mouth of Moses, but also from the hand of God, Pharaoh let God's people go. And God judged the gods of Egypt, small g gods of Egypt, through those plagues and showed his people his ability to be able to perform his word. But one thing that they were going to have to learn is to trust each word he said as they began a faith journey uh, on the night of the Passover, the first Passover that was kept. They actually left with only those things which they could carry with them on the journey. Now they were slaves, they probably didn't have much, but they still had to detach themselves from what they did have and, and they couldn't even wait till the bread had arisen for the journey. That's where the unleavened bread came from. You just make some dough and take it with you. All right, we're gonna eat it on the run. And so they had to detach. That's like the first great test they had to face was just, just letting go and, and going somewhere where they didn't know where it was, but, but by a promise that had been passed down to them now for several hundred years. And they knew that this was the God of their forefathers speaking. They knew that he had promised to take them to a land that just didn't know where they were going. What a tremendous test of, of character, of courage, but of faith that must have been for them. But God led them uh, out of Egypt and into the Sinai Peninsula, and he came to the uh, shore of the Red Sea. And what probably seemed like a really awesome camping spot, looking out over the sea, they may not have seen a sea before. And they seemed to be secure in the pillar of fire. There was God before them until at that time and on that night, the Egyptian army caught up to them and Pharaoh and all his army in battle array encroached upon them and they began to shout out, God has brought us out here to die. We're all going to be slaughtered. And it would appear that way because they're pinned against the sea with no place to go, especially in that mountainous terrain. But God would use that occasion to begin to build trust in Him. Moses said, keep calm, stand still. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. We, want, we might say, keep calm and, you know, all the t-shirts that are out there and bumpers to keep calm and fill in the blank. There's gazillions of them now. Keep calm and see the salvation of the Lord. Or as we sang in the song, peace, perfect peace. He opened up the sea that night before their very eyes and led them through on dry ground. They followed this pillar of fire lighting their way and came to the other side. The crossing took the better part of the night. When they came to the other side, God allowed it to close down over the Egyptians rushing into that sea. 
And when daylight came, the Israelites who were on the other side could look along the shores and see the Egyptians washing up on the shore. And at that moment, it says they moved into worship and they believed God. They believed Him. It was the first time that it says that they truly, collectively believed their God. And so they had to detach from the material possessions that they had and, and go. And then they had to be baptized into, it's in Corinthians, Paul says, baptized into Moses, into his leadership, but also baptized into God's leadership by their faith. And then this journey in the wilderness began. And it wasn't very long before they began to rebel against God's leadership through Moses. And God told Moses, they're, they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And Moses was painstaking trying to lead these people. But God caused them to wander in that wilderness for 40 years to get rid of fear, which resided in the hearts of the people who, after some time, wanted to go back to Egypt. They wanted to go back. They were afraid to conquer. They did not make the connection between God's power and His peace resting upon them and that they could do anything that He wanted them to do. And they actually stayed in that desert until all those faithless men and women and all those who were over 20 at the beginning of that journey passed away in that wilderness. As I think Anthony said this morning, it was like a death march. <laughs> but it didn't have to be that way. And there were those among them who understood and not just knew, but had the courage to go forward into conquest. To go into conquest, to, to be conquerors, to stand with God. When the 12 spies went into the land to scope it out and the 10 brought back that report, there were two, Joshua and Caleb, who said, no, we can do this. Not because we're bigger than them or stronger than them, but because God is leading us. And they pled with their brethren, but, but their brethren instilled fear in all the people. Now there's some great principles of leadership right there. Is who are you going to follow? What are you going to believe? And it's not always what the majority thinks. And so the people had to wait during that time in the wilderness. And all those who were 20 years old and younger, they grew to be 60 years old in that wilderness. But they were having children and those generations came up and they understood what they were doing in the wilderness and why. And they said, we don't want to live here forever. We don't want to be settled. We don't want to be complacent here forever if there's someplace greater God wants to take us. And so those next generations, through Joshua's leadership, the one who said, one of the few who said, we can do this, were encouraged to go in and take this land. Well, open up to Luke chapter 21. Because in Luke chapter 21, you're in the middle of an exodus happening, if you will. This is the second of two chapters, Luke 20 and 21, where Jesus is in the temple preaching the gospel. 
to what it says in the beginning of chapter 20. He was preaching the gospel. Now, you need to, you need to ask, well, what was he preaching? We could answer that with the short answer about his death, burial, and resurrection. But as we've learned, the gospel encompasses every aspect of our lives. The, the truthfulness of the death of Christ for us to demonstrate God's love for us and the power of God to raise him from the dead and say to us, I will raise you from the dead. That truthfulness, that we believe that, that we stand on that, touches every facet of our lives. Now here in this chapter, he seizes opportunity to teach them how to allow the gospel to instill faith in them when he exits this life, this world. There's going to be a couple exoduses. One, Jesus is going to leave. He's going to ascend to be with the Father uh, within 50 days, uh, 55 days probably of this. And then they are going to need to go out of Jerusalem into the world in an exodus, if you will, to carry the gospel. And so there's some principles here I want you to see that are the same. Jesus in this chapter, and we're going to skim through and look at some key verses. Jesus in this chapter first wants to instill this. You've got to detach from the material world. You've got to detach from the material world if you're going to go where God wants you to go. Secondly, you have to trust in the power of the gospel the promise of God to raise you from the dead to give you the courage to endure anything. Because if God is going to raise your dead body one day, then that's really all that matters in this life right now. Everything in this life is hinged upon the fact that you will stand before God. And the third thing he wants them to see is, I want you to watch and pray so that you can escape and stand before the Son of Man in the last day. So let's look at these three things. Detaching, trusting, and then prayerfully watching and readying yourself to stand in the last day. Because here's why. In our world today, there is fear on every side. There's turmoil across the globe. Even we now are not immune from it anymore in this country from shore to shore. It's infiltrating our nation in the hearts and minds of people. We're not used to that historically. And it's stricken fear into many people, even Christians, even Christians. Surely we should be concerned about it. But what's the difference here? I think Jesus is going to teach us as well how to interpret and how to respond to some of this world disorder. Some of these social evils that are taking place because they're going to happen here. Let's look first at something that just it, it captures Jesus' attention. He's teaching in the temple and he can see people dropping in their gifts into the treasury over here publicly. And he calls attention... He looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury 
And in verse 2, he saw also a certain poor widow putting in two mites. Now, another gospel says that he called his disciples to himself. That sets the urgency of this. Hey, come here, come here, come here, come here. Look at that woman right there is what he's doing. You see that woman? She just put in all she had. The rich are putting in out of their abundance, but she just put in all she had. Okay. Do you want us to put in all we have? What, how much did she put in? Two mites? What, what are you trying to get? Well, I don't think the lesson that Jesus really wants to teach them here is a mathematical lesson. First of all, she only put in two mites. Two, de, two denarii, if you will. Two, two copper coins. A couple of cents to us. Obviously, quantitatively, it's not more than what the rich were putting in. So, is that what he wants us to learn, though? Is, is how much? Like, because Jesus, you're not right about that. He said she put in more. So it must be proportionate. It must be a percentage. She, it must be the percentage that, that he's highlighting. Well, kind of. It's the 100% part that he's highlighting. Not that she gave 20% to their 10%. Or that they were putting in out of their abundance, but she was actually hurting a little bit when she put it in. He is setting them up to go into all the world. That's the context. He has, has he not already said to them in Galilee, I want you to go out on a preaching circuit? Well, okay, I'm a little nervous about that. Well, let me comfort you. Don't take anything with you. <laughs> They've already been through that. And they came back filled with joy in their hearts. And then he sent out 70 others when he got down into Judea. And they all went out and he said, you can take a little with you. But they returned with joy. In both cases, he was teaching them to trust him. Jesus wants them to see the remarkable character of this woman. To detach from the material and totally rely on the eternal. Jesus speaks about working with your hands, giving as you've been prospered, laying by in store. He only spoke to one other person where he said, sell all and follow me. Do you remember that? The rest of the Bible teaches us good stewardship principles about how to um, manage your assets, including your money. He told the rich through Paul to Timothy, tell the, tell the rich to share and to be rich in good works. He doesn't want everybody here to give everything they have today into the treasury, unless it's going to cost you your soul. Then you better detach from it, however much it takes. This is what he's trying to teach. This widow is so reliant on God's promise of the gospel that she is totally detaching herself from this world so she doesn't miss the train that the church is supposed to be on. I just want you guys to see that. It's possible. This is the case. It's impossible that a rich man should go to heaven, Jesus. With God, all things are possible. A rich man can go to heaven. But he's got to detach from his riches. He's got to learn how to see those things. So he highlights this. Now think about the Exodus. 
first thing you need to do on your journey is just, just leave. Jesus is saying, you've got to be ready to depart, to leave, to detach. You can never be bound to the gods of Egypt, to the gods of idols, to the gods that we are serving that are not the God of heaven. In verses 5 through 28 then, he really piques their interest. So as these country boys from Galilee are soaking that in and they begin to look around, yeah, speaking of the riches of the temple, wow. You know, they're already drifting off. And it says that they're adoring the temple and the gifts of the temple. Hey, they're from Galilee. I mean, they're in the big city now. You know, they, they go down there once a year, but they're, you know, they're loose running around. Look, look at this, man. Look at the size of those stones. Look at how did they, stuff you and I would do if we went to a, a major architectural attraction in some city. And Jesus says, I want to tell you something. Time is coming where not one stone will be left upon another in this place. Total, utter destruction. It's going to come to this city. That's why he wept over it when he came into town. Just a couple days earlier. I wonder what they were thinking. Why is he weeping over Jerusalem? Hey, we're all celebrating here. Hosanna to the son of David. He's weeping. Coming to, oh, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you all as a chick under wings. But you're going to, in your decision to serve the gods of men, to serve Roman gods, you're going to be utterly destroyed in their wrath and in God's wrath. Well, when is this going to happen, Jesus? Great question, right? It's probably the first thing I would ask. When? And what will be the signs of this? Well, he gives them some. He actually answers that question. Matthew chapter 24 is, is synonymous with this. And Matthew actually adds that they ask one more question. And when will be the sign of your coming? When, when will you return or the end? When will be the end? And so he, he, they ask him a little more about when's all this going to end? So when is Jerusalem going to be destroyed? How will we know when it's going to happen? And, and when is the end of all things? And Jesus begins to systematically go through and answer these questions. But, you know, uh, as he's preparing these guys for his absence, I say these guys is 12, but the, the disciples there that are gathered together, Jesus wants them to understand how to have mastery over their souls in times of trouble, in tribulation and turmoil, in distress, in times of anxiety and fear. You know, we're suckers for, for bad news. If I were to tell you some good news right now, you might or might not doze off. But if I said something bad is going to happen, I would, I would arrest everybody's attention in this place. It's funny, I was looking at some statistics on this. Bad news makes up more than 50% of the headlines today. And I, would act, I was actually like, isn't it like 99? Isn't it 99? Do you know why? Because the following statistics made me go, oh yeah. Because they're 30% more likely to draw your attention, the negative news. And 
27% of people are more likely to have a bad day when they get the bad news early in the morning. We still want it. Tell me what's going to happen today, right? What's all wrong today? If you're going to have a, a one, almost a third greater chance, you know, a 27% greater chance of, of ruining your day by listening to bad news, you probably ought to turn off the radio for a little while and just pray. Don't you think? One, one poll showed that over 50% of the English words spoken across the globe from emotion, from emotion, not just casual talk about sports or something, over 50% of the words, not how they define that, but over 50% of the words that people are speaking about how they feel are negative. In light of all that, wouldn't it be nice to be around some people who give you some hope? Wouldn't it be nice to be around some people who actually can frame those things in a setting that you can understand? Well, that's us. That's us. That's the worldview that we believe in, that God is sovereign, that God knows everything that's going on, and that God is going to make things right in the end. But that leaves one question. What are you going to do about it now? God speaks how to handle now. And he doesn't say, I'm going to make everything better every time something goes wrong. Or I'm going to prevent everything bad from happening. Naturalists call this um, tendency of ours to cling on to bad news. They call it a defense mechanism. That's evolved over time through our fears of running from velociraptors and woolly mammoths and all these things. Defense mechanism. Jesus calls it fear. Calls it fear. That's all it is. A lack of faith. Ouch. Okay. I'm listening. First thing I want you to do is don't believe false impersonators. Verse 8. There will be people coming saying, I am He. I am the Son of Man. I have returned to claim those who are my own. Don't go after them. Then in verses 9 through 11, He talks about the suffering in the world and world events and, and uh, wars and rumors of wars. And he said, don't make fearful predictions. Don't make predictions based on these things. Oh, this is happening. Something's going to happen. The end's coming. God's judging. He said, just don't follow those people who are saying, I'm here, I'm here. It's not going to happen yet. Don't, don't look at everything and try to interpret it religiously. Okay. Verses 12 and 13. Before the destruction of this city and, and this temple, Jesus said, before that happens, here's what I want you to be concerned about. You will be persecuted. You will be imprisoned. You'll be tried and some of you are going to die for my name's sake. That's what I really want you to be honing in on. I want you to understand your own personal relationship with God during these times. And it needs to be on solid ground. So I'm telling you, these things are going to happen, but I'm going to tell you, you need to be ready for this. And so in verses 14 through 19, see if you can find it in, in your uh, translation. 
Verses 14 through 19, he says, Settle your hearts. Therefore, he says, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you'll answer when you're standing before rulers and kings. He said, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom by which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. You'll be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends, and they'll put some of you to death. And you'll be hated by all for my name's sake, but, verse 18, not a hair of your head shall be lost. Oh, really? Just my head, right, Jesus? Remember what Jesus said? That God knows every hair on your head? He won't lose one. Oh, I didn't know that was going to happen to you. I'm really sorry about that. I'm being a little sarcastic today. I don't mean it irreverently, but that's kind of how we sometimes, I think that's how we sometimes read these passages. And, and sometimes the doubts are arrest, we wrestle in our minds about how just going to lose our heads, not our hair? Okay. Um, God knows how many hairs you have on your head. And if your head is taken off, he has not lost track of all of those things. Settle this in your heart. God sees. Now look at verse 19. By your patience, possess your souls. I think there's actually a better translation than the New King James Version from, from the original languages and other translations have translated a little differently as well. It means something like this. Through your endurance, have mastery over yourselves and you shall acquire it. You shall win. You shall win your life. Whoever desires to save his life shall lose it whoever desires to lose his life or whoever loses his life shall save it you shall acquire it wrap your minds around this settle this in your hearts and possess your souls with mastery have mastery over yourselves respond to these situations by your faith in the gospel and in God's promise. You're going to win in the end. Don't dispossess your souls. Don't dispossess God. Don't cast away your faith, as the Hebrew writer had to write to those Christians. Don't cast away your confidence. But possess your souls with mastery, and you will win it in the end. In verses 20 through 27, the destruction is described as a time of great tribulation. And he said in verse 28 then, when these things begin to happen, he even has more audacity to tell his disciples this. Listen to this. It's incredible. When these things begin to happen, don't be fearful. Look up and lift up your heads. Because your redemption draws near. When this happens, you're drawing closer to the day that you longed for all along. Your redemption in Christ. Now, suffice it to say, I don't know of anybody here in particular. There are Christians across the world. 
There are believers across the world that are losing their lives, their heads for their faith today. Today, there will be more. See, I got everybody's attention. <laughs> Everybody lifted up their heads when I brought bad news. It is true. There's a lot of atrocities that will be committed today. And God said, you lift up your head. I've saved you. By the power of the gospel, I will raise you up. And your body will again possess your soul and stand before the Son of Man so. All these things will happen before this generation passes away, he said. And as he directs their, their minds and their eyes and their heads and hearts upwards, he finishes this chapter in verses 34 through 38 by saying, thirdly, if you want to conquer, if you want to stand with the Son of Man on the final day, in the end, if you want to stand, if you want to escape this, not the physical destruction of Jerusalem, although he advised on how to get out of town there too, but if you want to escape this attachment to the material and stand before the Son of God, what does he tell them to do? To take heed to yourselves. To, to set a course and stay on course is what that word means. Set a course. Decide today. Church, Christians, you have to decide today to set a course. Well, I've already done that. Now you've got to stay on it. You have to stay on it no matter what happens. No matter what storms come. No matter what news comes. No matter what terror strikes. No matter what wars that we may engage in as a country. No matter what personal battles you're going through. And there are some of our loved ones at this moment going through some severe personal battles some trials no matter what happens you set your course stay on it because in the end you'll acquire the victory that's the power of the gospel the gospel Paul said is the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe it is not for cowards Revelation 21 it's not for cowards Paul said uh, if, if he wrote the Hebrew letter in Hebrews chapter 10, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but have a saving faith. A saving faith. Not just an acknowledgement of God's creation. A faith that will save by your perseverance through these times to the end. In closing, I want to give you a little fuller version of this from the Apostle. See if you can guess which Apostle it is and what book it is and where it's at. I'll bet you can. And if you can't, ask somebody. And you can ask me afterwards. Listen to the language now. That sounds similar to take heed, watch, pray, and stand. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle with flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with, the, with truth and having put on the, bless, the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith with which you'll be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always and in all, all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, be watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints and for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly and make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Here is the great apostle Paul, the one who actually was engaging in the persecution of the disciples that Jesus was talking to in Luke 21. He was actually instigating some of that punishment and persecution upon them saying the same things that Jesus said to the disciples to you. I was wrong. I was wrong. You take on the word of God and the power of the promise of the gospel. And you set your course and you stay on it and you stand and put on the armor that God gives you. And take the gospel on your feet wherever you go and conquer sin and don't just conquer sin in your own life he said be prayerful for all the saints all your brothers and sisters pray for them too so when we're praying about me god forgive me of my sins god help me to overcome my struggles today and my battles i want to pray for all of you as well and he didn't express it in detail in this verse but when he says take the sword of the spirit which is the word of God it implies that he's going to go out then and defeat those who oppose the word of God with other world views such as naturalism or evolution and these philosophies Christians you need to be able to help people understand the Christian world view and don't be ashamed of it. The gospel is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. There will be some who don't believe. May it not be you, but may you rescue some out of the fire, as Jude wrote. May you pull some out of the fire and save them. You'll be a hero to them. You'll be a hero to them. And you'll be a, a servant with whom God will say, well done, you good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of salvation and eternity. That's what I want. And that's what I want for you. And I, I want all of us to be minded that as Jesus is getting ready to depart this life and equipping those disciples, he was, in, he was equipping us just the same to be ready for his return. Let's do that together. Let's obey the gospel and let's believe the gospel and let's sing about it. Oh. Uh -huh.